Welcome in everybody to the next episode of the Spy Point Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Marsh. Uh, remind everybody real quick, rate, review, subscribe, where it is, wherever it is that you're consuming the podcast just helps uh, other people find the audience and, and find the podcast a little bit easier. And of course, we want to see your feedback. Um, I'm the, this episode, I'm kind of the podcasting part-timer compared to uh, to our guest. We have uh, Kurt from Working Class Bowhunter on with us this week. Kurt, uh, appreciate you jumping on. Thanks for having me, man. Good to see you again. Good Been to see while. you. It has. It, we we had a conversation there in in Louisville at ATA, which was a lot of fun, and you yeah. know, we we try to we try to keep up. But uh, you've been you've been busy lately, so. But before we get into that, let everybody know, for those that maybe don't know Working Class Bowhunter, not familiar with you, why don't you, A, let everybody know um, kind of what you do and, and where all you do it and where they can find you before we get into everything else. Yeah, um, Working Class Bowhunter on every major podcast platform. Uh, type in the Google machine there, you'll find us. Uh, we do, uh, we've been doing a weekly episode since 2015, never missed a week, we're pushing 515 episodes, original WCB episodes. We do a sub-series for Jury Outdoors called Working Class on DeerCast, and that is a video on DeerCast, that app. And then we do another series with uh, one of our great friends, Clint Casper, called the CC Hunt Files, and that is kind of whatever Clint Casper's doing from turkey hunting to adventure hunting and motivational type stuff. So uh, technically our platform pushes out three episodes a week, uh, but the regular working class bow hunter series is still a weekly series. So, well, sometimes we crank out three on that series, but um, we're so busy now uh, traveling and doing other stuff that we stick to our once a week promise, I guess. So um, <laughs> yeah. every major podcasting platform, YouTube, DeerCast, we're out there. So we, we try to make it easy to be found. And uh, that's, that's kind of what I was getting into. You guys have been on the road uh, quite a bit. Well, since we ran it, ATA is kind of the unofficial kickoff of show season every year. And, yep. and we connected there, but then the consumer show circuit kicks up, which you guys were on pretty hard this year. How many of those did you guys end up doing? We did. Uh, so right after ATA, we went to Lincoln, Nebraska for a show. I got, I had to write them down. Uh, we went to Lincoln, Nebraska uh, after Louisville at ATA, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We did Indianapolis. We did the Iowa Deer Classic in Des Moines. We did Wisconsin Dells, Columbus, Ohio. Peoria, Illinois, and then we have one coming up in August in Bloomington, Illinois, and that's Illinois Deer and Beer Fest. Gotcha. So. What uh, What was your favorite one? Um, you know, I always like the Illinois show was back this year, and that's our uh -huh. home state, so that was kind of fun because we didn't we only had to drive an hour, right? And it felt local, uh, but that was its first year back. It was pretty impressive for its first year. I that's always like the Iowa Deer Classic, you know. I, that's when ATA is in Indy because I'm I'm in Northeast Indiana, so it's not like driving 65 for that extra hundred miles is that bad. But why does Louisville feels like a road game and Indy feels like a ho home game? And it's just yeah. it's just so much easier. Plus, yeah. Indy's nice because the hamster tubes connect everything. You don't that's have to nice go outside. Part. Everybody's downtown. Louisville, the yeah. the location's great. Like the expo center's great. But then you either gotta you stay at the airport hotels and then you gotta go into downtown every night, or you stay downtown yeah. and you gotta truck out to the show. But um yeah, always home state shows when anytime it's that close certainly helps. You know, you know, we did do a show in Indianapolis, um, Indiana Deer Turkey Waterfowl show. I was gonna um, try to make it down to see you guys, and it just it was. I Crazy love that town. show. It was a great show Um, that they do like a seminar stage where it's like in the middle of the show. So the seminars are yeah. part of the show. And I really love that layout. It's that was that one stood out the most. And I don't know if it's because it was a new show, but I liked the way they did it. Um, yeah. That was it was a nice change from all the other consumer shows we did. And how was it? How was it? Because I've been obviously I've been before because it's it's only a couple hours away, but I wasn't able to make it this year. How was attendance this year for Indiana's? It, it was great. Um, it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday show. Yeah. And Thursday was OK. You know, Friday was OK, like a normal show. And Saturday was so wide open throttle for us, like our booth traffic. It was we were pretty blown away by it. We awesome. left there like, man, why, why have we been sleeping on this show? That's kind of how we left. Cool. You know, that was the attitude on it anyway. So, well, hopefully next year I'm able to P 
peel myself away and and get down there and we'll put you probably, to work in our booth. I, I was gonna actually I'll probably stand just outside your booth and like hurdle insults and and uh harass you and yeah well not harass you probably doug uh, yeah doug, yeah that's yeah. why we have doug right. for purpose, <laughs> you know? he is the foil for everybody that wants yeah. to that wants to harass anybody just send them send them doug's direction it's a good exactly because i don't want to take it on you know i got too much going on so that's uh-huh. what doug's for yeah. we keep him four foot distance off to the left and people can heckle him a little bit at the show. Doug was doing social distancing before it was cool. That's right. And that wasn't <laughs> on purpose. It's just his mustache kept all the ladies at bay. So uh-huh. just, like, I don't know about this uh-huh. cat. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a, it's that six foot dog radius. You know, the, the dogs are, are with Doug and that keeps everybody else away. It works out he pretty does, well. That's true. He does have his Instagram <laughs> dedicated to pictures with dogs at trade shows, which uh-huh. is kind of a good idea. I mean, hey, it doesn't matter what your brand is. Just find it, reinforce it, keep building it. That's all that matters. Yeah, he does a good job. Yep. So uh, you said you got the one in August and then, um, wow, that's, I've done the consumer show circuit before. That's a lot of doors. And and Harrisburg alone is, I mean, that's a lot of days. We're not doing Harrisburg next year. Already decided, not doing it. We're not, it's, I think that burn us out. That show did, it was a great show, but, um, and you know, I I know there's people that want us to be there. There's probably people who don't want us to be there. Um, but I'll kid it aside. It's just, it's a big expense to go. It is Mm -hmm. worth it. Um, but you know, we all have young kids for us that do have kids. Doug doesn't Mm -hmm. have kids for the record, but you know, I have two little kids at home. Eric's got a little one. It's a long time to be away, especially with all the hunting that we're gone for. So it, it'll probably be like an every three years type thing for us, right. maybe in every other year. I don't know. Um, but you know, it's expensive to do the booth. It's, mm-hmm. it's expensive for an Airbnb or a hotel, the gas you're pulling a trailer. It's just, I don't know. We well, especially money. when you, you're not really, I mean, you've got, you know, hat and gear and, and that kind of stuff, but you're not, you know, I, I did it from a manufacturer standpoint where we're selling product every day that can help offset the cost of being there. And, you know, a couple thousand dollars worth of product helps offset that. But when you're really just kind of there on a promotional basis, yep. I, that's, that's even tougher. So, um, and, and we've talked about that. It's like, how often, how, how long do we have to hit every show to get our name out for promotional purpose to be seen? before we're like okay now we're to a certain point we don't have to hit every show we can just hit the right shows right or like i said get them on a rotation where there's like two or three you do every year and then there's three or four that you hit every other year and you kind of try to keep it in that um you know four five six as opposed to doing nine or ten every year that's yeah that's rough i mean that's what i'd like to do there's been there's been times uh, in the past that, you know, between just the industry shows so like the ATA and shot and the buy group shows um, it was nothing for me to be gone 70 of the first hundred days of the year. And that's just, insane. I mean, that was before I had kids and now it's the same thing. Like I, I if asked, I wouldn't do it. Like, yeah, it's, just, it's I, a I mental would, grind. It's too you know? much. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's too it is. Much. It is. So again, I'm, I'm, I've been around the industry for a while and I've seen a lot of, of writers and bloggers and podcasters kind of come and go. And you guys like, A, I know you didn't come out of nowhere, but you really kind of exploded onto the scene and you've really, you've stayed, which if I, if I have my spy point hat on and I'm looking at it that way from, you know, from a, just a personality standpoint, that's super impressive to see. But then as someone that hunts and, and fishes and enjoys the outdoors from a content perspective, it's nice to have somebody that's been that consistent. You know, you, you hate to like fall in love with reading somebody's blog. And then two years later it's gone or they do a podcast for, you know, 60 episodes and then it just disappears one day. So um, mm. why, why do you think you guys have been able to, to kind of have that staying power and actually like you said, you're up to three different shows now, really. Like how, how have you been able to expand that platform and, and keep that staying power? I, I think I appreciate you saying all that. Um, and, and, you know, I don't really know what it is exactly. Here's what I think it is. Um, one angle of, of my perspective on it. Um, we're as real as possible, but still able to do the job. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like yeah. we, 
I like to think we're pretty much the same people. If you run into us at a bar at a trade show, or if we were on the podcast, or if we got to share a hunting camp together, or just ran into each other at the gas station, getting a 30 pack or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. I like to think that we're just who we are and we stuck true to that. And, you know, we don't really apologize for it. Now we still have a job to do when it comes to like an interview or a video we're doing or something like that. But I think our long form platform has let us talk through different, like, uh, controversial topics and you can see who, what our attitude is on things and how we are. And, and if we were like kind of BSing about who we are as people, uh, with our brand as working class bow hunter, I think it, people would call us out pretty quick on it for as many hours of content we've cranked out. Um, I think just being actually real, I think being real is kind of an overplayed right. thing yeah. because everyone says they're being real, but they're not really being real. Um, and that might be hard to explain. My perspective might be different on that, knowing more people in the outdoor industry. Um, but I think we're as genuine as you could possibly be to have a form of content where you need a, where you have a job to do and then being in the real world, uh, no, if that makes sense. No, I, and I, I think you're probably right. I mean, again, I, I kind of come at, come at it from both sides a little bit. Um, but, you know, I've been on more of the marketing manager side now for, for a decade or a little more than that. And you're hundred percent right. There's, there's the being real that is a contrived authenticity, which Mm -hmm. there's a reason that's an oxymoron because it, it is like, if it's contrived, then it's not real. And, and that might play for a while, but eventually you're going to get caught in, caught in something. It's, it's, it's going to come back around to you. So no, yeah. I, I think you're right. And that's, I, I don't know if people are, are tired of hearing me talk about it. Cause I know there, and I'm sure you, t- you're just coming off the trade show, the consumer show circuit. So I'm sure you've got the question of, man, how do I get started? I just want to work in the industry. How do I get started in the industry? And I, I know that yeah. people think they want to work in the industry, but you probably don't. Probably don't. It's not what people think it is like when Oh, you get to hunt for a living. I'm like, whoa, hold on, hold on. Nobody hunts for a living. Yeah. I don't, you get, if you're Michael Waddell, Mark Jer, I mean, you name off the big names. They mm-hmm. don't hunt for a living. Right. They, you see them while they're hunting for a living, but that's, there's a lot more to it. I'm telling yeah. you, nobody hunts for a living. Well, and we've all heard that phrase. You don't want to meet your heroes. And if you are really into hunting and you, you know, you, you love that there's going to be a lot of people that you meet that are going to disappoint you. It's no different mm-hmm. than if, you know, whether it's NASCAR drivers or ball players or, you know, recording artists or whatever the case may be no different than any other group of people. A lot of them yep. are, are great dudes. And a lot of them are just absolute trash. And <laughs> if you're, yeah. if you're going to meet them, you know, anytime you put yourself in a situation, you, you can meet some of those people and it just, it's, it's a letdown. So um, like, it's almost one of those things that, you, you almost have to be able to be, again, like you talked about, you've got a job to do. So you can, I think part of the reason you've stayed is because you, you approach it like, yeah, okay, we can, we can love to hunt and we can love to be part of the industry, but there's still a job to do here. Mm-hmm. If you come into the industry just as a fan, you're going to get let down really quick. It's, it's not going to meet yeah. your expectations just because nothing does. And I, and I, yeah. I think that goes, I, I get asked a lot and, and I've like talked um, like to some high school kids and stuff about, you know, if I wanted to get in the industry, how do I do it? And, and I tell them like, you really need to understand how you think about the industry because mm-hmm. if it's the actual nuts and bolts of being in the woods that you love, find something that lets you do that. Mm-hmm. Do not do this. Yeah. You have to love being around it as much as actually doing it. And those are not always the same thing. And it's yep. the same thing with the personalities. Like you said, there's, there's a lot of personalities that are not going to live up to what you want out of them. So um, making sure that you, you kind of come into it eyes wide open and, and approach it that way is, is important. Yeah. And, and I, you know, to, to kind of go off that, I feel like a lot of the relationships we have in this industry were built organically because our platform um, started and still is conversation. Um, so I've got to meet a lot of industry people by having long form conversation with them right off the rip. So I can tell if I'm going to like someone or not like them within an hour, two hour, three hour conversation, 
And then a lot of our partnerships kind of start organically that way. And, you know, just different, whether it's an official partner of working class or whatever, um, but just friendships in the industry start from the conversation, you know, and I think a lot of that comes from, they know we're being authentic in our platform. And if I feel that they're giving me that back, um, you kind of learn who you want to be around and not be around. So I'm fortunate that our platform is kind of a filtration system for relationships in a way. Yeah. Well, and again, that's one of those things that it's not just this. Anytime that you can be selective in who you work with, you're going to have a much healthier working relationship. Yeah. So when, you know, if you're, if you're begging and borrowing for every dollar and you got to kind of take things on that you don't really want to, whether it's medical device sales or an outdoor podcast, it's going to make a lot tougher job and it's going to be, it's not going to be nearly as enjoyable as if you can kind of choose your own adventure and make sure you're working with the people that you want to work with. That's exactly hundred percent true. Exactly. So kind of goes along with that. You're coming off the consumer show road. I've done the consumer show road and even the industry shows to some extent you you've talked to a lot of people. Yes. You talk about a lot of things. And one thing that I love about you guys' podcast is um, you'll take on some of that controversial stuff and you won't even always agree within, within the team, which is great because groupthink yeah. is boring. We all have like those triggers, like those red flags, right? Like somebody yeah. will bring it up and I'll self-identify. If I hear you say call buck, I'm going to roll my eyes and everything that you say after that is going to give me real issues. What's okay. What's like your what causes your mental eye roll when somebody comes up and starts talking to you and showing you it's like, oh, really? So I kind of have two things to this. And the first one is it's, I feel like it's more harmless than what my second one is. My second one is quick as obvious. I should probably cover that one first. We had a run in with a guy at a trade show. He was just talking to us. Like we were boys, you know, like he mm -hmm. had a beer. We had a beer. We're drinking a beer together, having conversation at the show. And he was talking about some game laws he broke while turkey hunting and laughed about it. And then from then on, I'm just like, I just wanted to be like, get out of here and yeah. don't talk to me. But so anytime someone thinks that like, oh, I did this and just don't tell the DNR, like, don't do that to me at a show. Like I automatically, I, you're yeah. boxed out yeah. to me mentally. But the other thing that I think that goes a little deeper, that's, that's a big obvious red flag. Right. You know, a lot of people come up with the shows and will show like, a trail cam picture of a deer or do whatever. And they'll be like, or a picture of a deer they shot or whatever animal they shot pretty good for me. Da, da, da. And it's almost like they're downplaying themselves at a, as a hunter mm -hmm. all the time. And there's a lot, there's even brands out there that downplay themselves in this culture as not being a good hunter. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that attitude. I think it's unhealthy. Um, I get that. It's a joke. And yeah, we've kind of, it's humble. And maybe that's what most people are trying to be. Oh, I'm just trying to be humble. But I think when guys are gen genuinely trying to learn how to be a better hunter and want to try and strive for shooting more mature deer or a bigger turkey or whatever it mm -hmm. is, I feel like you constantly ride with that mindset of I'm a subpar hunter. And mm -hmm. I feel like it suppresses your growth as an outdoor person and what you want to accomplish and take in information. Does that make sense? It, it, yeah, it absolutely does. And it, I've yeah. never run into that because I feel yeah, it happens. I bet you it happened 200, 300 times out of all those shows and all the hundreds of the hundreds of people we talk to every show. And I'm just like, man, everyone kind of like, I'm, it can be so like, Hey, this is what I got now, but I'm, I'm learning. I'm trying to be a better hunter. I just feel like people ride around. Like I'm not that great a hunter. And then they don't really give themselves the credit they probably deserve or don't realize where they at and are in their growth ladder of becoming a better hunter. Um, so for me, yeah, I'd rather see people be more positive about where they're at rather than downplaying themselves for something they shot. And so I don't know if I, I think I'm having a hard time getting my point across, but no, I'm, I, I understand hundred percent what you're saying. And it's, it honestly, it, it, the episode before this uh, was a conversation with Melissa Bachman and we were talking about as it relates to recruitment retention, kind of the three R stuff that's been going on. And the, I think what you're talking about is, is one little portion of the issue that we have in the industry of hunters attacking hunters. Mm -hmm. And 
what the, where I see what you're talking about manifest itself the most is we are, you know, we're talking in April, this will come out in May. Um, we're in Turkey season and we're going to start seeing all these harvested Turkey photos and how are half or three quarters of those going to start? It's not my best Tom. And then yep. the same thing's going to start again in October. It's not my biggest buck. Like they, everyone yeah. feels a need to qualify how they spent their tag yep. to a bunch of idiots on the internet that they don't know that they're not beholden to those people didn't pay for your tag. They're not paying for your lease. They're not buying your stands. They don't have an ounce of blood, sweat, tears, money invested in how it is that you choose to hunt. Mm -hmm. And people feel the need to kowtow to those people so that then they don't get ripped for mm -hmm. what they killed or how they killed it or, and it just, yeah, no, that's, yeah. and we've, think I, we've talked about it on the podcast before that, you know, that it drives me up the wall. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I guess I hadn't really thought about it. I guess I see it as a defense mechanism for all of the idiots on the internet that are going to come blast you. But then I guess I really hadn't thought about, I mean, it makes sense. You know, you, you, if those are the thoughts you're putting in your head that, well, it's not real, eh, it's not, yeah. then you're right. Eventually over time, that's, and honestly, I'm probably guilty. I mean, that's everybody probably is a little to some extent. And then again, it goes back to not, not going to complain about working in the industry, but then I also feel like I can't just be Trent that shows up at the gun shop. I'm Trent that shows up at the gun shop that works for spy point or that works mm. for optic. Like I'm in the industry. <laughs> so, Oh, well, I should, I should be filling tags every year and I should have leases in six States. And like, there's, there's almost that pressure that comes along with feeling like there's more expected of you because that's what you do mm -hmm. that makes it difficult too. Yeah. And, and then, you know, same thing. Well, well, did, did you hunt with a crossbow? Maybe. Oh, do you, Oh, well, you got him in gun season. You didn't kill him with your, yeah. Got him in yeah. gun season. Like there's yeah. that whole, that whole need to qualify everything to other people instead of, was it legal where they hunted? Yeah. You, know, you don't know the time constraints that people have on them anymore. And, and the dude's got yeah. three days or four days a year to hunt, you know, and that's, well, I guess Trent, you brought up a good point. Like when someone says that on the internet, it, it, yeah, it clearly does look like a defensive mechanism against haters, but I guess when it happens to me in person in conversation at like a show, I look at it as like a suppression of growth, so, but it's uh -huh. the same thing, but it's, it's, I guess it's the perspective on how they're pitching it to you and where they're at. Yeah, no, I, I totally get hunter, it. But I have goals in my head that I try to set to grow as a hunter. I, you know, if I shoot a buck, I, I own the buck, I own the story and I'm going to tell you. Um, now, you know, we've joked around about how we're crappy hunters or whatever in the past, you know, we're joking around or, um, you know, humble conversation. I just hate to pe see people basically say I suck and I'm always going to suck. So this is the deer I shoot because I suck. No, but I don't I, like that. Like I said, I, I think that's a, I think that's what we, we see it evolve into as they're qualifying. Like, like I said, yeah. if, as if you're thinking those thoughts when you're posting on social, then that's how it manifests itself in person. And, well, and if I, it's always in your head, you know, that's where it's going to land hundred percent. And like I said, I'm, I'm guilty. I mean, you know, my, my, my kind of clearinghouse blog that I run is tag soup adventures. Well, what's tag soup it means you didn't now. And some of that is just the way I approach it as a, you know, kind of a smart ass anyway, where, mm -hmm. you know, it's for me. And, and this is another place where I think social has kind of cut against, especially the people that are coming into it cold that didn't have a dad or a grandpa to teach them. So they're, they're coming into it and all they see is social media where everybody's got a grip and grin and every hunt yeah. is a success. And, you know, like God love hunting television, but the, it's another red flag, kind of another red flag that I've talked about in the past. Like as soon as someone tells me how great of a deer hunter they are, I probably tune them out because yeah. I've talked to some of the best deer hunters in the world, you know, and I've, right. I've had conversations. 
Mark and Terry, you work with the Drury's. They'll be the first ones to tell you we spend if if you could hunt where we hunt and spend the amount of time in the stand that we spend in the stand. Guess what you'd kill? Great mm-hmm. big deer. Well, you know, you know, someone that like I think applies perfectly in this whole conversation is our buddy. He's on our crew, Austin Chandler. We we call him. He doesn't call himself this to clarify his nickname from us is the Lord because he kills big deer. And but he'll he's so humble about it. He's not going to tell you that he's a, a shitty hunter. You know what I mean? He's not going to mm-hmm. say that. He knows what he is. He has goals he sets every year. Every year he's got a new goal. And the dude gets it done because he's he's after it. You know, he's motivated and mm-hmm. he's dedicated and he's working hard to figure out how to achieve his hunting goals for that year. Yes, he has good ground, but it's not by accident. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's from work he's done. But I think if Austin, if go back 15 years ago when he was younger and if he had that mindset of I'm I'm kind of a crappy hunter or I'm an okay hunter or whatever it is I think I don't think he'd be to where he is now he could be um but he's also very humble he's not going to be like well look at all these deer I shot so but he's he's to where he's at because he's put in hard work and dedication and has set goals and has strived to become a better hunter without being cocky and arrogant Mm -hmm. and a little ridiculous about it. You know, it's, um, there's a balance there for sure. It's a, it's a really fine line between. Yeah. Being, being humble enough about it to know because you can't kill what's not there and you can only attract so much. You can, you can put in all the food plots that you want in Northern New York. You're, you're not going to have, you know, six one eighties walking around. You're just not. You want to know my analogy for that, and the same thing we talk about a lot with Michigan and some of those states, like you referenced, like maybe like Northern New York. If I want to kill a mule deer, I have to leave Illinois. Yeah. Just because yeah. there's whitetails up there, yeah, you could kill a giant. You could, but if I'm a guy that lives wherever and there's not big deer there, and I my goal, you know, your goal could just be to kill a mature deer. But if your goal is to kill a 185 mature five and a half year old buck, you're going to have to go to where they live. Just how I can't kill an elk in Illinois. If I want to go kill a big elk, I have to go to Colorado or New Mexico or Wyoming because they don't live in Illinois. It's I think people need to think of it that way a little bit when it comes to that. I think, too, a lot of people would be surprised. And and if if you correct me, if you think I'm wrong, because the vast majority of people that we talk to don't have the privilege of working in the industry and talking to some of these, you know, professional hunters, what we would consider really good hunters. Mm -hmm. The number of times I've heard them talk about their approach to hunting or how they hunt and have it be drastically different than what I hear just going to a local gun store or a local, like it's the same stuff. Like that, if, if there was one thing that I could get people to understand is that I'm, I know you can't make happen on 20 acres, which you can make happen on 2000. Mm-hmm. You're probably doing everything right. Like it's killing deer is not particularly hard, especially in the Midwest. I, we, you know, if thank God that I'm hunting Midwest ag crop whitetails, like it really doesn't get much easier than that. Yeah but you're, you know, you only got 20 acres to hunt. There's only so much you can do in that area. And very limited. If you are listening to this podcast, you probably know 95% of what it is that you need to know. You might not be able to be actionable with all of it, but there's not like some knowledge gap between you and whoever it is that you put on a pedestal as man, if I could just hunt like X. Yeah. You, you probably know every what you need to to get what they and that that's been of something that really has surprised me being in the industry and talking to folks is mm. i actually think more of myself as a hunter now than i did before i was in the industry because i wasn't wrong it's just a yeah. different set of circumstances i'm not spending 80 hours a week in a tree stand in november if i was i'd probably see more deer because yeah. i'd be out there more but that's not my full time job so, so it, I, I half agree with you on the, you know, as much as whoever you put on a pedestal, I, I half agree. And I guess where I agree with you and where I don't agree with you is I think a lot of guys that have a 20 acre piece 
or a 40 acre, or, you know, hundred or less, whatever mm-hmm. that might be. I think you, they might know this, but I think what separates a lot of guys from that kill deer every year to who don't, and it might just be the wrong piece and there's nothing you can do about mm-hmm. that. So this is very situational with what I'm about to say, but I feel like I've run into this because I used to be in this situation I try to surround myself with what I call big buck killers and guys I look up to and guys I can learn from mm-hmm. and guys I like, but guys like are motivational to me. People that help me grow as a deer hunter is who I try to be friends with and surround myself with. I think it's positive. I've learned a lot of like simple things that I overlook for the longest time, especially in smaller pieces, like entry and exit yep. thermals winds, more fine, fine detailed things that you don't think about until you get to a certain level where you're like, okay, if I want to kill big bucks consistently, what are some things I've overlooked that now I need to consider, learn them, understand them, and then how to understand it and then to apply it to where I'm at. And that comes in even more importantly on a 20 acre piece or a 40 acre piece. And it's all situational because, you know, we could throw a million examples on 20 acres is not 20 acres is not 20 acres is not 20 acres. Exactly. So that's where I disagree a little bit, but that doesn't, that's not a blanket for everybody. You know, that's very situational. And I think in a lot of instances, it's no matter what it is, whether it's hunting or fishing or cars or whatever, like you, you know, more than you remember. Like you've heard that or you've thought that, but you get worried about this thing over here and then you forget this thing. And that's where, like you said, surrounding yourself with those people. So that just, just like, you know, one of the guys that I hunt with, we're having a conversation. I'm like, well, why don't we do, he goes, I guy, you get to looking at it because it's your hunting situation. You get so inside it that it's not that you didn't know it. You just needed somebody else to come in and say, Hey, idiot, like, here's your, like, so being (laughs) being in having a circle like that just keeps all of that stuff more, more top of mind. Yeah. Cause you know it, you just, you get to, I got to do something about food plots. Cause why are you worried about food plots when you've got this just focus? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That was something I talked about when Josh Pretzer was on a couple of weeks ago is like a lot of guys go into, especially when they get a new piece, but even with, you know, pieces that they have, they, instead of focusing on improving what deer are already doing, they get focused on doing what they want to do to improve the habitat independently. Mm-hmm. So they'll get caught, you know, maybe your 20 acres doesn't lay out great for a food plot. You need to make it a sanctuary and you're going to have to hunt it differently. You have to approach it differently, but yeah. it's 20 acres. You can't have food and water and bedding and sanctuary. And you just, you can't do all of that. Yeah. So especially, especially on those smaller parcels, you have to look at it and go, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give the best one or two factors that I can, because this is how it breaks out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's really hard to do. And I don't Mm -hmm. think it's because people don't know it. I think it's just because they, they're too close to it and they're, they're trying to look at it and say, well, I want to do all of it. But that's not realistic for a lot of us. Right. And, and two, you know, during season, yeah. if I'm in a spot, like if I'm hunting a deer and I'm like, I cannot figure it out, whether, whether it's terrain, entry, exit, hunting, doing this in the morning, doing this in the afternoon, I bet you from October one until I'm tagged out, hopefully I'm tagged out. Um, whatever point that might be, it might be all the way to the end of the season with an unfilled tag. I'm on the phone every afternoon or midday with one to five of my big buck killing brain mm-hmm. circle that I call. What do you guys think? Here's what I'm looking at. I saw this deer. And then we have a brainstorm. So even if it's 10 minutes of running over game plans with each other, we're trying to help each other figure out deer. I think that keeps us fresh. Yeah. Um, and it keeps it, it keep, I like to think it keeps me from having like blinders on from seeing something obvious. Well, and having those people that it, it's great to have resources to go out, but the same thought process when it's not the deer you're hunting, when somebody comes to you and says, here's what I, same thing, it, it stones, stone, steel, sharpen steel, like that whole concept of if all you're focused on is what you're doing. Mm-hmm. you, you know, pardon the hunting pun, but you're not going to be able to see the forest for the trees. Cause you're going to be too into it. So yeah. it's as much having somebody else come to you 
to, because then you can look at it. And I feel like that's something just in life. Like if you, if you have trouble making a budget every month, like find somebody to help you to talk through. If you have, whether it's working on cars or whatever, just if you've got something that you're into, find those other people to help feed those thoughts into your head Yeah, to keep that narrative going because it's too easy to get one tracked. And that that's a recipe for disaster for sure. Definitely. Yeah. I love, I love that whole breakdown of everything of like evolving as a hunter, you know, it's a great, I think it's a fun conversation. So that might be why that bothered me. That's my red flag, you know, when someone puts themselves down. So no, and it, it, it's a problem. It a hundred percent is a problem. It, mm-hmm. it is, you know, it's, we're not, we've gotten more, the whole social media thing, we've gotten more instant gratification and it, hunting you prepare all year for like it's it's a slow process with a big mm-hmm. payoff at the end yeah and if, if you think about the way just as a species we've kind of evolved over the last two decades we don't wait for anything i'm, <laughs> no, I'm hungry i'm hungry great doordash i want to watch some, i want to watch <laughs> right i need me a pizza i, yeah. I want to watch something okay well i'm not going to wait for Thursday night when my show's on, I'm going to go on Netflix. I'm going to binge it. Like it's, we don't wait for anything anymore. So you're already talking about an outlier personality for people that can even wrap their minds around what it takes to hunt. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to, whether you self-isolate because that's your mindset coming into it that, well, I'm not a good hunter and I'm, I'm not a good fisherman or whatever the case may be. But then if you're backfilling the thoughts of the industry with telling other people that what they're doing is the wrong way to do it. You're taking somebody that, you know, we just, we just talked, spent 20 minutes talking about how too many people are coming into it with that already is their mindset and their schema. And then you spend half a year time on social media and, and in forums helping to beat those people down even further. And then you're the same yeah. idiot that's sitting around a coffee table in January going, oh, I understand why nobody's hunting anymore. We're going to lose our hunting rights. And you're yeah. spending time running everybody out of the, out of the hobby. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's a vicious cycle. It, it is. It's, it's one we have to get figured out. For Conversations sure. like this help though. It might I, not feel like it, but I, I, I believe that they do. Well, if you feel better about it and I never feel good anyway, but if you feel better about it, See there, I, there I am. I'm, I'm the problem. But that's a jo- you said that in a joking manner <laughs> for the sake of it. No, I get it. I mean, right. I don't know how big a difference like this one conversation makes, but I think in the long run, it's yeah. all about changing attitudes and mindset. And if it can help, it helps. If it doesn't, at least we had fun talking about it. Yeah. Fill, fill the space with the right kind of thoughts and they'll, they'll find their way forward. Yeah. Like the Illuminati, you know? Yeah. It's, it's just don't tell anybody read it backwards. Right. So another thing I wanted to add you ask you, and, and maybe we really just kind of killed two birds with one stone because you know that's your red flag was kind of how you wish you could get people to change their thinking about. Is there something else other than that kind of putting yourself down? Is there something else that you can think of that like, man, if I could just get people to think about this a little bit differently, and maybe it's maybe it's something like that that's huge industry related, and maybe it's just granular at the hunt related. Is there yeah. is there something you wish you could get people to understand, whether it's new hunters, existing hunters, just a little bit differently? Oh, I don't know if this applies, but I've been on this lately since my dad passed away a lot. Um, I've talked about a lot on working class bow hunter is like uh, doing things that you've always said you were going to do when it comes to your passion and in our circle and in our industry, 99% of people's passion is bow hunting or hunting. Um, and there's always, you always see those guys like, Oh, I always wanted to go out elk hunting with my dad, even if it's an over the counter unit and go have fun and camp for a week or like they have this bucket list, whatever, but it's always, it just keeps getting put off. And mm-hmm. I guess now my mind says like, do those things and do what you want to do and chase your hunting dream, whatever it is, take your week of vacation, take your wife with you and rent a camper at the trailhead and let her stay and hang out. And you go chase elk for a while and come back. Like, right. however it is, you need to justify to get out there to do the things you've always wanted to do. It's very attainable and very achievable and life is shorter than you think. So that's, I want people to tackle 
like their goals and their dreams a little more. I, I think a lot of people just put it off thinking they're going to be able to do it in five years and five years isn't very long. So No, no. And we might have five minutes left. And That's where I'm at. If you're I'm not making it to retirement, the way my, uh, the guy are <laughs> history is going. So I'm living it while I can, man. Yeah, I'm trying at least it's tough to do it all the time, but yeah, I, that's definitely something I've struggled with myself. And, um, you know, especially now, you know, my oldest is, is about to be five and, and a lot of my thought process now is turning, you know, I've still got stuff that I want to do and hunts that I want to do, but a lot more of my focus is turning towards wanting to see him get his, you know, youth season was this last weekend we didn't make it out but we've got some time yet and um you know let's let's go get him his first gobbler and making plans yeah. for this fall for his first deer and um i i think it's easy to prior it's easier to prioritize that when it's like your kid or something but you you do have to just step back and say okay well what what is it that i want to do or what is it that i want to share with somebody else that's a it's mm-hmm. a really good message um yeah definitely is and, and- because it's hard Never. to do it on the daily. Like it's hard to be like, right now I'm at work. I'm at the studio. Like, what could I do? That's not always a realistic thing. And I struggle with that. I'm like, man, I should be doing these crazy things on the daily. But you know, you set the goals for the year. Like, we're going bear hunting again this spring. We're going to Africa. Like, I never thought I'd be able to go to Africa to hunt. Like, that seems so out of touch to me. And I'm like learning it's more attainable than what people might realize. Like, I booked that elk hunt, something I always want to do with my dad. And yeah, it's a little scary. I probably don't have the money to do it, but I called my buddy up who does hunts. I'm like, just book me one and I'll figure it out. Like, because if I don't do it right now, why I'm motivated to do it, oh, I'll do it in five years. I'll probably try to do an an elk hunt. You know, you can forget about a lot of goals in five years if you put them off. Like, so I just said, put it on the books. I'll apply for a tag. If I draw, I'll see you and we'll figure out how I'm paying for it. (laughs) So. It, we, we talked about as in terms of, you know, being a good hunter. And I think, you know, now, now let's get real ethereal, right? Let's get super esoteric about it. But, you know, it's, it's the same thing. If it's just, mm. I want to go elk hunting. And that's all you ever say is I want to go elk hunting. That's not making, that's a wish. That's not mm. a goal. Make it a goal. Now, yep. Africa is one that's on my, on my list. And it's, it's probably the next big trip that we'll take. Um, I'm lucky. My wife wants to go to Africa, not to kill anything, but guess what? It's way easier to say, Hey, I'm going to kill some stuff while we're here. If she gets to go too. So there's that. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, and that's how I did my lion hunt. My it, wife and kids went with me. Right. So, but you have, I've been saying that forever since, since I read, I, I read the, the two, the two things that made me absolutely want to go to Africa when I was young, reading some of the, the notes and the memoirs of Teddy Roosevelt doing his safari. Mm-hmm. And then for whatever reason, I, I found my middle school library had old issues of outdoor life that had Robert work in them. and reading those work articles. I'm like, this is like I want to buy, I have absolutely no reason on earth to own a 416 Rigby and there are a million cartridges that are better than the 416 Rigby today. And you know what? I still want a 416 Rigby for no damn good reason other than to take it to Africa and kill some stuff with it. See? So, but I've been saying that for 20 years, you know, coming up on 40 and I, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I want to do before I can't, do it the way that I want to do it. So here in the last few years, it's, it's really, it's gotten a lot more serious about, okay, great. We're looking 2023, maybe 2024, that this is going to be something that happens. And that's, that's what you have to, you can't just say, I want to do this. You have to start. And it's easy for us to say, you know, just, just book it and figure out how to pay for it later. You know, that's, it's easy to say to somebody else, but at some point you, you do just have to put that stake in the ground and, um, I think too many of us are afraid, I, you know, I a hundred percent was on, and in terms of, you know, being able to pay for something or staying in a job that you're not happy with because you're afraid of what'll happen on the other side. Yeah. If you're a better hunter than you think you are, and you're a way stronger person than you think you are, and you'll get way more out of this life. If you just put yourself out there and it yeah. sucks and it hurts and it's painful up front because it's uncomfortable 
but that's where the really cool shit happens too mm-hmm. is when it starts hurting a little bit when it gets a little painful do that stuff yeah because that's the stuff you remember it's not the it's not the it's not just staying home and mowing all june nobody remembers the best the best way they <laughs> mowed their yard like that right. that doesn't make the list you're so, right and on the africa note let's talk man because the guy that i ended up working with on doing this camp that we're going all of us just booked like right man mm-hmm. we're all never going to get to go again together maybe right but probably not all of us you know it's going to be amazing so um and he's well i'll uh, i'll set you up with them so you can take the steps you need to get that goal so sei was out at vegas this year along with shot so right after shot show i i'm kicking around sei and i've looked into it for years I haven't really been bit by the elk bug yet. So mm-hmm. I hadn't really looked at that and didn't really pay a lot of attention. If, if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're saying, I can't afford to go to Africa, I'm going to do an elk hunt or a mule deer hunt. There's a lot of elk hunts that you can't touch for what you can go to Africa and kill Five seven, animals. eight, nine, ten 10 animals. Yeah. And the way the whole Africa logistics work out, let's just go down this bunny trail since you pulled the string on it. Like, you're you don't just decide on thursday you're leaving for africa on saturday it doesn't work that way like by the time you you know you book your airfare and your deposits and then the taxidermy comes way later you're not yes it might cost you ten thousand dollars to go to africa by the time you're all in that's easy by the time you do everything and your airfare and your let's just say 10 grand okay Mm -hmm. but you're not writing a ten thousand dollar check tuesday after next right you're doing, you've got a thousand dollar deposit and then you go six months and then you book your airfare and that's, you know, two grand. And then you go to your hunt. And by the time you pay your day rates and you leave, okay, there's another 2,500. And then your taxidermy and your shipping is another two grand, but that's eight months after your hunt. So you're spreading and, these and expenses it's split with your crew too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you can find a couple other guys to go with, where you can break up some of those, like the day rates and that kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. it's, I, I always tell people too about, Oh, I, cause when I, I got married and it was second marriage for both of us, we got married on Maui and everybody's like, Oh, I, I'd love to go to Hawaii. I can't afford it. Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. seriously, I'm not a beach guy until I went to Hawaii. And now like, just it's, it's a really good message. It's not really what the podcast is about, but yeah, you're, you're a hundred percent right. If you've got that list of things that's in the back of your mind, that's like, I would like to do these write them down and start putting together real actionable things to make them happen because yeah, don't kill yourself to do it, but just take action to get it done. Really? You know? Yeah. It'll, and once you do it the first time, it gets way easier to do it. Like that's because if you talk to somebody that's been to Africa, that's that same jerk that you hate because he's been to Hawaii and he's done the thing. Like, and, and the dude that's just got the long list and has never done any of it, it's not that he knocked off one and then went broke and couldn't afford to do more. It's that yeah. he never took the first step. Because again, it's, it mm. is, it's scary and it seems difficult and you don't think you can do it. So the best thing to do is just say, man, I wish I could do that. And then never actually get off your ass and do it. Once yeah, you get yeah. off your ass and do it and put the plan together and actually go forward with it, guess what? Now you've got a roadmap. Now you've got a template. So mm-hmm. great. You knocked out your elk hunt. Now you sit back and go, well, shit, I can go to Africa. Yeah. It's not that bad. I can pull that off. Yeah. Well, we can, we can take a family vacation and we can be in Maui for Christmas. Like it just, it's, it's the mindset. It's not, it's not the action and the doing and everything that goes into it. It's the mindset of making it happen. And it's getting, getting over being um, concerned about the unknown. Like the first time I went out West, it seemed impossible to go hunting out West. And then I was like, well, shit, I'll come back next year. And I went with my buddies up from um, Buckstorm. There's some guy, great guys out of South Dakota. They, we went elk hunting in Colorado, never met each other. Just talked, you know, I just knew them through the podcast. And then like out there, I'm like, man, let's, let's hunt antelope next year. Oh, we came out West. It's attainable. You can do mm-hmm. it for not yeah. a ton of money. Let's, so it's just doing it the first time yep. makes you realize you get over that fear of like, yeah, you just got to go. Yeah. So I'm scared to go to Africa. I've never been, I've never flown anywhere for a hunt like that, you know? Right. But people do it all the time. We'll figure it out. Yeah. So there's, there's always someone that has done it that if they told you they had done it, you'd be like, no, you didn't. 
<laughs> Let right. that be your motivation. Yeah, I like that. One way or the other. Let that be your motivation. Well, if he did it, I can certainly manage it. Yeah. Yeah, that guy can barely get dressed and he did uh, it. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> that was a little bit of a bunny trail and it was not really I liked it hunting related especially, but it's I definitely I think it's like you said, put that right stuff out in the universe. And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with and need to hear. So that was, that was fun. So uh, we're, we're running a little long, uh, but you, like I said, you had a couple of really cool trips last year to the lion hunt, you did the mule deer hunt last year. Uh, You've already kind of tipped your hand a little bit, but you got some big stuff coming. So, so what's in the cards for this year now that you've put consumer shows behind you, what's, what's the fun stuff coming for this year? So uh, we leave for Wyoming bear camp. We do a working class bow hunter bear camp out there with my buddy, Trey Heiner, um, Gray's River Outfitting, uh, Western Wyoming. So uh, I killed a bear there a couple of years ago. Doug and Eric are going to try and get a bear this year. I'm probably going to help just, I, I'm going to hunt probably if there's baits open, but my concern is more just having fun in camp and helping fill baits and riding horses and stuff like that mm-hmm. this year and trying to get uh, the, the other guys and the other clients and listeners in camp to get bears it you know what i mean i'll go if i can go but i'm i'm there to just have a good time um and then africa which uh we're gonna do some podcasts explaining like the bookings the costs and we're gonna break all that down so if you guys are curious it's a thing that was never on our radar that became on our radar and we're going and so we're gonna talk on that we're gonna do podcasts in camp post hunt podcast stuff like that um and then wyoming elk uh, austin and i are going um, if we draw and then whitetails at home. So that's the quick version of what our season has in store for this year. Is that all? It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. That's, that's awesome. That's good stuff. So uh, yeah. with that, we'll kind of wrap it up. So again, where, where can folks find you on social? Where can they find the podcast? Where can they find all versions of the podcast? Just the full yep. working class bow hunter rundown. Uh, workingclassbowhunter.com, any major podcast platform, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, just type in Working Class Bowhunter, Facebook, Instagram, Drury Outdoors, Deercast, and YouTube. Simple. Awesome. Kurt, it's always fun to talk to you. We, we, never, we never end up chatting about what we plan on, but it always ends up good in the end. So uh, you get a podcaster, Andy, and I'll talk about anything. Uh huh. Perfect. Well, thank you. Good luck this summer. I'm sure we'll be talking in the meantime. Uh, But until then, everybody, again, rate, review, subscribe, wherever it is you're consuming podcasts. Follow Spy Point on social media. Just search Spy Point. You'll find us and look up Working Class Bowhunter, guys. Thank you. Thanks.